there's no way they would shrink back from that moment. Imagine with me a, an Olympic athlete, a sprinter in track and field. And this particular Olympic athlete has been training, preparing for four years, getting ready to compete in the Olympic Games, the pinnacle for track and field athletes. And this sprinter has competed in, in contest after contest, event after event, and has had many victories leading up to the Olympics, which has allowed him to compete in the Olympic Games. So after four years of preparation and four years of victories, can you imagine at the moment when he comes to the starting line to run in the Olympics, can you imagine that that sprinter would shrink back? There's no way. That sprinter would embrace that moment. And this morning we're going to look at a church in the book of Acts, the church at Antioch, that had experienced great victory and had been greatly prepared by God to be used by Him. And we're going to see them come to a moment where God is ready to do great and mighty things through them. And we're going to see that in this moment, the church at Antioch doesn't shrink back. They embrace the moment and are mightily used by the Lord. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 as we continue our study. Line by line, verse by verse through this New Testament book. The book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you are physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Bible says about God's Word that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We hold in our hands the living Word of God. Amen? Amen? Acts 13, verse 1. The Bible says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul... For the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are great and glorious and wonderful and powerful, and gracious, and kind, and patient, and holy, and sovereign. And Lord, when we think about who you are, we're just so grateful that through Christ, we get to have a personal relationship with you. Through Christ, Lord, we can say that we are adopted, and we can call the God of the universe, Father. And that's an amazing reality, and we are so grateful for that. And in light of the finished work of Christ, which makes this relationship available, God, I pray that you would help us in these moments to lift up Jesus. 
Lord, that he would be exalted in our midst. And as we study your word, the Holy Spirit of God would move among us to open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the truths of Scripture and take those truths and apply them to our life. And we'll thank you, Lord, for that grace. God, I thank you that as we gather and as we sing and as we study your word, I'm, I'm grateful, Lord, that you are here. Lord, you're present among us. You draw near to your people. You inhabit the praises of your people. And so, God, it's an awesome reality to be in your presence, and we thank you for that. And we love you, and we praise you, and we exalt you, and lift up this prayer to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've worked our way through the book of Acts, we've seen how the gospel spread in the first century from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And in Acts chapter 11, we saw how God sent a great movement of His Spirit and the gospel to the city of Antioch in Syria. And God did great things there. There was an awakening there. God gave them great victories and and strengthened them. And in Acts 13, we see that they are poised for the next step. They are poised to be greatly used by God to see the gospel go from Syria into Greece and into Asia, even all the way to Rome, Italy. And at this moment, as they are poised to make great impact for God, they don't shrink back. They embrace what God has for them. And there's much for us as a local church to learn. Matter of fact, I love studying the church in Antioch. It's my favorite church to study in the book of Acts. And I'll say it like this, when we grow up, I hope we're like the church in Antioch. It's a great church because they didn't shrink back. They embraced God's mission for them. And so what I want to do is I want to learn some things from this church. And I want to cast for you some goals that we should have based upon what we see happening here in the church in Antioch. So I got three goals, three things we ought to seek to be as we seek to emulate this church. Number one... Our goal is to be a sensitive church. Our goal is to be a sensitive church. Now, by sensitive, I don't mean that you get your feelings hurt easily. That wouldn't be good. By sensitive, I mean you are sensitive to God's leadership in your life. Now, look what it says in Acts 13, verse 2. The Bible says, while they were worshiping the Lord, it was in the context of worship, And they were fasting. Fasting means they were going without food to focus more exclusively upon God. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, said, apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We see here, This church is sensitive to God's leadership, and when God speaks, they quickly obey. Now, as we think about being sensitive to God's leadership, I want you to think about it in these terms. We are all called to obey the Great Commission. I want you to hear me carefully. The Great Commission is not just for missionaries. It's not just for missionaries. But how do you know that? Well, in Matthew 28, when Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission, he said, Go and make disciples of all the nations. And then he said... When you make a disciple, when someone begins to follow me, baptize them and then teach them all that I've commanded you, which would include the command to make disciples. So everyone that is chosen to follow Christ, everyone that is a disciple of Christ, is to be taught the command of making disciples. 
We are all to obey the Great Commission. Every single one of us. If we are Christians, we are to obey this command to make disciples of all the nations. That is your command to obey. That's my command to obey. We are to own it, right? But within that, that, that Great Commission, within that umbrella, if you will, we all have different assignments, we, we all have different roles when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission. We're all to obey the Great Commission, but we all have different ways in which we obey the Great Commission. For example, I, I'm called, my assignment is to be a pastor of a local church. I'm, I'm, I'm called to be a preacher. We're not all called to be preachers, are we? And that's good, because preachers are weird. They are. It's good that we're not all preachers. We all have different assignments within this great commission that Christ has given us. So here's the big question. How are we to discern our assignment? How are we to come to understand our specific role in fulfilling the great commission? Well, here's the answer. The Holy Spirit guides us to our specific assignment. It's just that simple. The Holy Spirit guides us to our specific assignment. That's what's happening here in Acts 13. They're a great commission church. They want to reach the world and make disciples of all the nations. That's, that's what they're about. But within that, uh, under that umbrella of the great commission, they have different roles. And God wanted Barnabas and Saul to leave and go and some others to stay there in Antioch. And so they had to fulfill their different roles, their different assignments. So wait, how can I hear from the Holy Spirit? How can I know the Holy Spirit is guiding me? Well, we can learn from the church of Antioch. What did they do? Well, they were fasting and praying, weren't they? It says there in verse 2, while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Then verse 3, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this church was fasting and praying, seeking God's direction. And guess what? God spoke to them and gave them specific direction. You see, fasting and prayer gives us a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leading. When you go without food or go without something that you'll miss, to focus more exclusively on God and you, and you cry out to Him in prayer, seeking His face... God desires to guide you. He desires to lead you. So if you and I will fast and pray, I bet we can get more confirmation about our specific ministry assignment. F.F. Bruce, the great New Testament scholar, writes this. There are indications in the New Testament that Christians were specially sensitive to the Spirit's communications during fasting. And so I don't have all the answers about hearing from God, but here's what I know. When the church in Antioch fasted and prayed, they heard from God. So let's just take the Bible at face value and let's follow their example. Let's fast and pray and see how God leads, which leads me to some action steps. I've got some homework for you this week. How's that sound? Here's the homework. Number one, I want to ask you and call you to fast and pray during one mealtime this week, asking God for his direction and power as you seek to obey the Great Commission. I want you to plan ahead, decide what it's going to be today, and, and plan one meal time this week where you won't eat, if, you're, if that's physically permissible for you, where you won't eat, and you'll take that time that you usually eat to read your Bible, get on your knees, cry out to God for His direction. 
Would you do that? That's my, that's my admonition, that you would fast and pray at least one meal this week. Now, several years ago, I called for a church-wide fast, and here's what we did. Uh, I asked the church to fast one entire week from media. I said, don't turn your TVs on, you know, stay off the internet, and just spend time as a family, spend time in God's Word, just a media fast. And, and we did that for an entire week, and it was pretty awesome to hear how God used that in the lives of families in our church. And then I said... At the end of that week, on, on, starting coming back to church on Sunday, the beginning of the next week, I want to ask you on that Sunday to fast all day long from food and just drink water. All I want you to do is drink water on that Sunday. And so our church on that Sunday, how many remember this fast? Our church on that Sunday, all they, all they had was water. That meant that no one was drinking coffee. And I'll just be honest with you, it was like preaching to zombies. It really was. So listen, here, here's, my, here's, my, here's my pledge. I'm not asking you to fast from coffee anymore, okay? On Sunday, when you come to church, drink coffee, all right? I want you to. Don't fast from coffee. But at least one time this week, I want to ask you to just not eat. Just drink water and take that meal time. Don't fill it up with activity. Take that meal time and focus upon the Lord and ask Him to show you your specific ministry assignment to be a great commission Christian. And here's the second action step. Attend the Global Impact Conference. Next week, we're going to have our next Global Impact Conference. We have it every year. It's a highlight in the life of our church. It's going to go from September 20th, Sunday morning, uh, and then we'll have it on Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And we'll have families here from all over the world in North America, and we'll hear how God is using them and what God is doing. We'll be challenged to, to pray for them and, and come alongside them and support them. And we'll be challenged to think about our specific role. And so I believe that if we'll fast and pray and seek God's face, that when we come to the Global Impact Conference, we will have ears to hear what God is saying. I don't want the Global Impact Conference just to be a series of worship services. I want us to do business with God. I want us to hear what God is saying. And then when he gives you instruction, answer his call. Obey him. Own it. Do what he's called you to do. And there are so many things God may be calling you to do. God may be calling you to be a missionary, to join a missions organization and be sent somewhere in the world, and you, and you sell your house, and you, and you leave your job, and you get training with this organization, and, and you go and you plant your life, and you're, you're missionary somewhere in the world, or to go somewhere perhaps in North America to a, a pioneer area or some area that needs the gospel, and you go and, you, and you're a part of a church planting team. He may call you to do that. He may call you to just do what you're doing, but as you're doing it here in this area, you make disciples. You leverage your influence and your relationships and your skill set to whatever you're doing, whatever your job is, whatever you're, you're doing in life, you use that in a, in a greater way to have impact, to make disciples. He may call you to leave this area and move to somewhere else and do the same thing somewhere else that you were doing here. Perhaps you have some medical training. And God may want to send you to a, a cross-cultural setting where there's great need of the gospel, and he may want you to do the same thing, medically speaking, you're doing here, but you're doing it there to have impact for the gospel in that area. Or perhaps you're a, you're, you're a teacher, he may want you to go teach somewhere else. He may place you somewhere strategically so you can have impact among unreached peoples or communities 
for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He may call, be calling you, young man, to be a pastor. He may be knocking on the door of your heart saying that he wants you to lead a local church and, and preach the word. He may be calling you, young man, young lady, to be on a church staff in some ministry role. I, I don't know, but, but I believe if we will have ears to hear then God will lead us. He wants to lead us. He desires to lead us and show us what our role is in the Great Commission. And so we want to be a sensitive church, sensitive to the leadership of God. Number two, we want to be a sending church. A sending church. Notice what it says there in Acts 13, verse 2. The Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So God says, send. And what's the church do? They send. They are a sending church. The church at Antioch was characterized by sending people out for the sake of the gospel. And it's not just in this passage. As we continue to walk through Acts, we're going to see... That every time you see the church in Antioch, they're just sending out. Paul and Barnabas will come back and report about their missionary journey, and then they'll send them back out. And they're just coming and going. And they're just continually sending out for the sake of the gospel. And that's the kind of church we want to be. We don't want to just hold on to all of our resources and all of our people. We want to be a church that is willing to send out resources and to send out people so we can have greater impact in terms of the kingdom of God. We want to be a sending church, but here's the deal. A selfish church cannot be a sending church. A selfish church cannot be a sending church. If, it, if it's all about us, spending all of our money on us, if it's all about us and what we want, what we desire, making our lives more comfortable, making our lives better, if it's all about us, we'll never be a sending church. We'll just hold on to what we have and hoard our resources instead of sending folks out for the gospel. As a matter of fact, when we began the church in 2002, I borrowed a mission statement that we used for the first couple years. And the mission statement was this. A great commission, I mean, sorry, a great commitment to the great commandments and the great commission will grow a great church. That sounds good. A great commitment to the great commandments, loving God, loving others, and the great commission, making disciples of all the nations, will grow a great church. And that was a good mission statement, but one day I was thinking about it and it started to bug me. And what bugged me was the bottom line. The bottom line was, it'll grow a great church. And I thought, that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is not just to grow a great church. The bottom line is to impact the world for the kingdom of God. The bottom line is we want to see the kingdom expand. And sometimes, if you're making a kingdom decision, it won't help your church grow. There's a lot of money we give away for missions and ministry that if we spend on ourselves, we could have a lot more stuff. We could. But sometimes we make decisions that are kingdom-focused decisions that don't necessarily impact growth right here. But what's most important is that we are about the kingdom. So yes, we want to grow a great church. Yes, we want a church that's going to impact this this local community for the gospel. But we want to be a church that is focused beyond our community. We want to be a church that is focused outside of these walls on those that are lost and need to hear the gospel. And we want to be a church that is willing to send out folks to impact that lostness, right? 
right? Selfish church can't be a sending church. So we've always, we've always got to make the decision. We're going to be selfish or sending. The true measure of a church, you've heard me quote this before, is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. That's the true measure of a church. And notice who they send out. Look what it says there in verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. The word Niger is a Latin word that means dark or black, so it probably indicates that, that Simeon was from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene, we know he was from Africa because Cyrene was North Africa where modern-day Libya is. Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So this is interesting. In the first century, royal families would often have uh, friends that they would bring in to be the playmate of their, of their son. And so Herod the Tetrarch, as he was growing up, had a good friend who was brought in to be his friend named Manan. He grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now this Herod that he grew up with was the Herod that beheaded John the Baptist. Isn't that interesting? You have Herod, who was an enemy of John the Baptist, an enemy of God, but his lifelong friend is saved and becomes a preacher in the church in Antioch. That's pretty fascinating, isn't it? But, but Manan is a, a leader in this church. And then Saul. We know about Saul. He was saved on the road to Damascus. He was an enemy of Christ, a persecutor of the church. He met the risen Christ. He was born again and became a missionary. Incredible story. Now, out of these five names that we've read through, we know Barnabas, the encourager, and Saul, the preacher, the missionary. We, we know those two names. The other names we don't know that well, do we? But guess who God calls the church at Antioch to send out? The two most well-known Bible teachers. They were well-known in the church in Jerusalem, well-known in the wider Christian world, and God says, I want Barnabas and Saul to be sent out on this missionary journey. And, and the church of Antioch could say, wait a minute, not Barnabas and Saul. Not those guys. I mean, Barnabas is the great encourager. We need encouragement, God. And Saul was raised under Gamaliel's teaching as a Pharisee. Man, he knows his Bible. After he was saved, he went to the desert for three years and had seminary, just him and Jesus. I mean, this guy is a great preacher, great theologian. Not those two. We need those two. They didn't say that. God said, Barnabas and Saul. And the church of Antioch said, we'll send them out. We want to be like them. We want to be a sending church. But here's the third thing. Not only do we want to be a sensitive church and a sending church, but third, we want to be a strategic church. Notice what it says in verse 3. After fasting and praying, they, the other leaders in Antioch, laid their hands on them, Barnabas and Saul, and sent them off. So here's what you have. You have Barnabas and Saul going on their first missionary journey. They go this direction. The other folks stay in Antioch to do ministry there in Antioch. So what do we learn from that? We learn that as we send out folks, we must also embrace our local ministry assignment. Not everybody's sent out. There are folks that are called to stay here. And the folks that are called to stay here are called to embrace our assignment. These folks that stayed in Antioch were called to reach Antioch. And the folks that stay here in Hernando are called to reach Hernando. We're called to embrace our local ministry assignment. And here's the deal. I heard this quote years ago from Johnny Hunt. It's a great quote. 
He said that the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. So if we're going to be a church that is, is letting our light shine to the very ends of the earth, think how bright that light will be right here in Hernando. It doesn't compute that we're a church that is focused on the nations but not on our community, right? That doesn't compute. That makes sense. If our light's going to shine, it's going to shine brightest here at home and shine to the ends of the earth. So we want to be strategic about reaching our community. And by strategic, here's what I mean. Maximizing our resources with urgency. Everyone say urgency. Okay, that was a very non-urgent way to say urgency. Let's say it again. Say urgency. Urgency. Maximizing our resources with urgency to reach as many people as possible for the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. Maximize our resources, be urgent, and reach as many folks as we can so that folks who are lost can be saved and come to, come to be worshipers of the one true God, and he gets the glory that he so richly deserves. That's what we should be all about. A strategic church. Now, Keeping that in mind, I want to share with you just some broad brushstrokes of our strategy moving forward as a church. And we're going to unpack some more of this during the Global Impact Conference. We've got some exciting things to share with you during the GIC. So you don't want to miss that about some opportunities we have to, to reach the unreached people at the very ends of the earth. You, you, you want to be here for that. So we're going to unpack some of that. And then in the month of October... I'm going to preach a series of sermons on our vision as a church. We'll unveil a new logo. We've got a lot to say about that. So we're going to unpack all this in greater ways in the coming days. But I want to give you, again, just the broad brush strokes of, of what we want to be about in terms of strategy moving forward. I've got four grouping of, groupings of words. Here's the first grouping, sending and going. We want to be a church that's sending and going. We've looked at that at length thus far. We want to be like the church at Antioch. We want to send... And if God calls us, we want to go. Amen? And if we don't go permanently, God doesn't send us to plant our lives somewhere, then we go on short-term trips as often as we can. And we pray and we give and we support. We want to be a church that is always sending and going, sending and going, sending and going. That's the kind of church we want to be. Secondly, we want to be a church that is giving and building. Giving and building, as we think about our local ministry assignment, the question becomes, how can we utilize our resources to have greater impact here in Hernando and in DeSoto County and in the Mid-South area? How can we do that? Well, it's going to revolve around giving and building to a degree. And as I share this with you, I want to share with you some, some thoughts about our next building phases and campus and all of that. But as I share this with you, there are two realities we need to keep in mind. And you may want to jot these down. Here's reality number one. We need space. We need space. You name it, we need it. Preschool space, children's space, youth space, uh, administrative space. I mean, we need space. And so that's one reality that we've dealt with for 13 years. We, We need space. Here's the second reality. We don't want to be enslaved to debt. And so we've got to balance those two things. We need space. We need to move forward. We need to be strategic. We need to improve our campus in terms of providing uh, more tools to to reach more people. 
but we don't want to be overwhelmed by debt. That's why, to this point, we've taken it a, a piece at a time. How do you eat an elephant? How? One bite at a time, right? And, and we're trying to take it up a piece at a time. We built this building, and, and it was a remarkable story how God provided for that. Uh, $2 million gift from someone who was not even a member of our church to build this building. I'll have more time to tell you about that one day. Then we built the preschool children's building, and, and then we added this, this uh, permanent stage area to increase the capacity in this room. We put in a parking lot. So we're just kind of taking it piece by piece because we don't want to be overwhelmed by debt. And here's what we've ascertained. $2.5 million at this point in our church, $2.5 million is a is a healthy ceiling for us to have as a church. We don't want to go over $2.5 million in debt. We feel like we're at a size right now with our current growth and, and attendance that we can handle that amount in terms of principal interest payments and, and beyond that and get that paid down quickly. But if we go way above $2.5 million, if, if we break that ceiling, then we will become slaves to debt. And debt will drive everything that we do. We'll have to start cutting back ministry and missions and other things so that we can focus on paying off that debt. And we don't want to be there. We don't want to have to cut back anything. And so that 2.5 number is a, is a good strategic ceiling for us to maintain at this point uh, so that we can move forward with some urgency. Now, you so say, wait, how much debt do we have now? Well, we think by the end of the year, after we take in our monthly principal interest payments that are come out of our budget uh, every month, and we take the money that's coming through the advance fund, we have a fund called the advance fund that goes towards buildings and debt retirement. I'll talk more about that in a moment. If we take the money given to the advance fund and couple that in, and we have some, um, we're over budget this year, so we may have some, some extra at the end of the year in terms of money coming in through our budget. Uh, if we apply all of that, we should be right around $1.8 million uh, debt. All right, so keep that number in mind, 1.8. Our ceiling's 2.5. Everybody got that? Okay, so that, that's kind of the, the financial numbers I want you to have in your mind. So wait, what are we going to do next? And, and, and how quick are we going to move? Well, here's what we are proposing. We are proposing that we immediately, immediately move to build a lobby with a covered drop-off area. That's going to be the next phase of our church. And to kind of give you a, a, a feel for what that means, I want to show you some, some pictures up on the, the screen. And by the way, we'll have these out uh, on poster board throughout the week for you to look at more in detail. So we're going to go through them quickly, but you'll be able to look at these in more depth and detail throughout the week. But that first slide shows you um, a view of the new lobby space attached to our church buildings, looking really from Mackinville by Hell. If you were standing at the corner of Mackinville by Hell, you're looking back towards the church. That's sort of the view that you would see. Notice the covered drop-off. We have a covered drop-off on that side which is great for preschool children, families dropping off, going to our preschool children's building. But on this side, we don't have a covered drop-off, and there are Sundays we really need it, and it'd be nice. And so you see that's what it has with a lobby space area. Let's go to the next slide. The, the top uh, graphic shows you our current building setup, our Family Life Center and our children preschool building. Then you, in the middle you have the proposed lobby space, and then at the bottom you have what it would look like attached to our current uh, campus. Let's go to the next slide. This shows you a view coming in from the Mackingvale uh, entrance. If you turn off of Mackingvale into the entrance heading towards the front of the church, that's kind of what it will look like. Notice there the covered walkway, the cross, the end of the covered walkway, and the major entrance of the building. Let's look at the next slide. This is a, a night 
uh, view. And notice those, those uh, pillars are lit up, which would look really cool at night, give you some visual interest from the road. And, and uh, there's four of those pillars, and that ties into our, our logo, which I'll talk to you some more about next month. But anyway, it's pretty cool. Uh, the, the next slide, now again, the, we'll go through these quickly. You can look at these closer up uh, throughout the week, but this shows you kind of what a, a setup would be like during the week. When you come to the new lobby space, notice there are couches there and chairs and tables, a place for folks to hang out. More about that later. Let's go to the next slide. This shows you what it would look like set up for worship. We can fit about 150-something chairs in there with a portable stage. So we can have worship services in there for smaller group settings, like the gathering. We gather our young adults together and have worship time. We could have it there in the lobby. Let's go to the next slide. This shows you the setup for 48 folks. If we have an event that requires a smaller amount of people, let's go to the next slide. This shows you the, the lobby set up for 164 folks around tables. So you can fit a lot of folks in there for an event. Next slide. This is the final one, and this shows you kind of a, an interior view of, of what it would look like if you're standing there in the lobby. Kind of give you just a feel for what it would look like, what it would feel like. So that's what we're proposing, that we build this uh, immediately, uh, that we move forward on this lobby. And this lobby is going to provide so many benefits for us. Wait, what kind of benefits will this lobby provide? Well, first of all, It'll provide access to all parts of our campus. This lobby will be the major artery to get to all parts of our campus from here on out. Even after we build in the future and build expanded space and maybe a worship center one day, you'll be able to access the worship center from this lobby or access this building or the preschool children's building. It'll be the major entry point into our campus from here on out. So it'll be a major place for people to enter and get to different places on our campus. Secondly, and this is so important, don't miss this, It'll give us some much-needed fellowship space. One thing we've never had at Longview Point is space to hang out. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we had about 900, close to 1,000 people on campus, 900-something. And uh, after the first service, I walked in that lobby over there to go to the reception room, and people were in the lobby waiting to come into this service, and people were leaving the service, uh, the 930 service leaving to to get out, and 11 o'clock folks were coming in. And I was literally squeezing between people like this in that lobby. It was like cattle. It really was. I mean, that, that lobby was full. We know that's not ideal. Uh, we're making the best we can with it. But we know that it's not ideal, that there's not good traffic flow there, and there are people coming and going, and it's crowded. And there's no area to sit down in your Bible and sit and talk and hang out and catch up with each other. Uh, don't, don't miss how important fellowship space can really be. We need some space just to hang out, a, a table to sit down at, a couch to sit on, a, you know, a place just to stand and talk. We need that, and this will provide some much-needed fellowship space for our church and would really, I think, enhance what's going on. Because we love each other, but we're so busy and we're, and we're going so many different directions, we don't have time to, to spend with each other, and we need to do that. Third, it provides teaching worship space. We can set it up for a worship service or a teaching space. It provides that. Provides uh, third space. You ever heard of the terms third space? Uh, third space means that, that it provides an area other than work and home. And people in our culture today are looking for good third spaces. They spend a lot of time at their house, a lot of time on the job. But they want a third type space in which they can hang out in. This would provide third space. So here's my vision. I've been wanting this for years, y'all. I've been thinking through this for years. I would love it if, if you're out there and, and you, you, you know, you're a business person and you have a meeting to talk to somebody about something going on in your business, say, hey, meet me at my church. Mackinville by Hell, you will sit down and get a cup of coffee and uh, meet me Tuesday afternoon and we'll sit and talk. I would love it if that would happen here. Or, 
or a group of high school students say, hey, we need to study for an exam. Let's meet up at, the, the, at Longview Point and we'll sit there and, and, and study. Or uh, a women's Bible study or one-on-one mentoring. Or it's, the possibilities are Im- limitless. That, that it's a place for people to come and, and uh, have, have a coffee or a latte and just, and just spend time building relationships. And by the way, I was talking to my son Cameron about this this morning, and this is one of the advantages of being a, a pastor's kid. You get insider information. So he knew all this before you did, all right? And I told him about, we have a, a place to get coffee, and he said, well, can we get hot chocolate too? And so I said, sure. So we'll have hot chocolate too, all right? We don't want to leave that out. So we're coffee and hot chocolate in this new area. It's going to be awesome, all right? We'll, ha- we'll have that uh, for you. But it's just a chance for folks to come and hang out and get to know each other and love on each other and have Bible studies and have mentoring and make disciples and, 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 and have that space. So it'll be great third space. It really will. That our church, I think our church will, will greatly utilize. Also, it'll provide reception slash shower space. Uh, since we put this uh, addition onto our uh, Family Life Center, we've had more... A request for weddings and things of that nature, and so people can get married here, have reception in the lobby, or something of that nature. It'd be great for that, or baby showers, or wedding showers, or whatever. It would be just good, usable, flexible space for that. We could go on and on and on, all the ways we could use that, but I'm telling you, it would be something that our church would utilize, and it would give us space to stretch our legs, and give us traffic flow space, and it really would enhance our campus and allow us to continue to grow numerically here at Mackinville and by Helia. And so we are proposing that we immediately begin building this lobby. So wait, how much is it going to cost? We think it's going to be somewhere between $700,000 to $800,000. So let's just say around $750,000 is the, the price we are estimating for this next step. And uh, we want to move on this ASAP. Here's what it means. If we'll begin building this and attack the advance fund and, and, and get the debt paid down, we should be able to build this without going over $2.5 million. So we'll have that ceiling. We won't be overwhelmed by debt. It'll be strategically used, but we'll have more space in which to grow. And then as we grow, then we tackle the next phase. Wait, what's the next phase going to be? Well, unless the Lord leads differently, we desperately need preschool, children, Youth space. And so that'll probably be the next phase. We tackle preschool, children, youth space, uh, adding to our existing buildings. And that'll be the next phase. Wait, how quick can we get to that phase? Well, as quickly as we pay down the debt. Our, our goal is to move uh, as quickly, as fast as giving allows. So our goal is to move really, really fast on this. But we also want to keep in mind, we don't want to go over that $2.5 million uh, ceiling at this Time. And so, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to consider this next step. Uh, in two weeks, uh, on our, in our Sunday morning service, we'll vote on this moving forward. This Wednesday night, uh, I'll be here at 6.15 before we begin our Bible study. I'll take some questions. We'll have Q&A time. If you have any questions, come at 6.15 and you can ask those questions. Or you can email us during the week or call us. We'll answer any questions. You can grab me this morning, Sunday morning after we're done. Just grab me, ask me a question. We want to answer any questions you might have. We'll vote in a couple of weeks to move forward with this. Uh, but in the meantime, and in the coming weeks and months, I'm going to ask you to consider giving consistently over and above your regular giving to the advance fund. Now, here's the cool thing. We hardly ever mention the advance fund. Hardly ever. 
But we have folks that give every week, consistently give to the advance fund. We have around $2,000 coming in every week, and we're not saying anything about it. So I think if we begin to emphasize the advance fund, that we will see the giving increase dramatically and that debt level coming down dramatically and quickly. And that's what we want. And just kind of a quick word about how we raise money here at Longview Point. And when I say this, I'm not disparaging other churches, okay? So don't hear that. I'm just telling you the way we do it. We don't bring in an outside consultant to raise money. We're not going to have fundraising banquets. We're not going to come to new members' houses with a pledge card. That's not how we do it. I believe the best way to raise money is for you to hear it from me. I'm your pastor, and I want you to hear it from me what our needs are, and I'm going to tell you the need, and then we're just going to go after it together. Sound good? That's it. So if you want to be a part of that, just start giving. Designate part of your giving to the advance fund, and it'll be applied to that. But just start giving to the advance fund, and we'll see what God does. And I'll just keep you up to date, and I'll keep, uh, keep it before you and keep encouraging you to give. But that's the way that we raise money here, all right? We're just going to go after it together. And so that's what we're proposing, to build this, this lobby space to grow and to then tackle our next, uh, our next phase. And then after we tackle preschool children, youth, then maybe if God should lead, we might think about a worship center. But we can't build a worship center until we have more infrastructure. And these are infrastructure-type steps to get us to the place where we can think about that. So I want to give you that information. Now, here's what I want you to walk away with, okay? Because my sermon's not over. Listen to me. Buildings don't reach people. People reach people. Look at me, look at me. Buildings don't change lives. Jesus changes lives. Buildings are tools. They're tools for me. That's what they are. We're grateful for our buildings, and we're going to build some more stuff by God's grace. But we understand it's not about the building, right? It's about Jesus. And these buildings, these steps are simply tools for us to build relationships, make disciples, preach the gospel, love people. That's what this is all about. And so as we move forward, we want to, we want to go and send. We want to give and build. We want to third, invite and invest. Inviting and investing will be part of our strategy. And by that I mean this. We've got to do the work of building relationships, inviting people to church. Hey, when was the last time you invited someone to your connect group, your small group, to really build some relationships? And you invested in them. You built relationships. You, you, you got to know them. You, 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 you spent time with them. We want to invite and invest because the gospel, listen to me. Oh, don't miss this. The gospel moves through relationships. Did you hear me? The gospel moves through relationships. So we've got to invite and invest in people's lives. And then last, gathering and growing will be part of our strategy. We gather people into Worship services, we gather people into small groups. We call them connect groups. We have groups that meet on campus, groups that meet in homes. We have these small groups of people where they grow together, studying God's word, making disciples in that context. So we want to gather people together and help them to grow in their faith. That is part of our strategy. And so listen to me, the giving and building, listen to me, the giving and building means nothing if we're not inviting and investing. The giving and building means nothing if we're not gathering and growing. Amen? We want to be a strategic church. So wait, what's the point of this 
Acts 13 and Church of Antioch and what we're thinking about doing next. What's the point of all this? Here it is. We will continue to follow the missional model of the church in Antioch. Listen, by engaging people with the gospel locally and globally. We will continue to follow the missional model of the church in Antioch by engaging people with the gospel locally and globally. We want to be like the church in Antioch. When we grow up, this is the kind of church we want to be. Let me close with this story. Friday night, I was here at the building. We had our first night of Celebrate Recovery, and it was awesome. Now, sitting there, listening to our leaders execute the program for that night, and Jason, our missions pastor, was up on the platform, and he was just sharing the vision for Celebrate Recovery, and he was talking about Jesus, and he was talking about grace, and it was just powerful. And I began to think about the potential for changed lives that that Celebrate Recovery is going to be in the life of our church. I just can't wait to see how God uses this to really impact people and really just bring healing and help and, and hope into people's lives. And So I had this moment of just really being overwhelmed, thinking about the potential. And then as Jason was talking, I looked over his head there in the youth suite, and up on the wall were different flags from different countries that represent places we've been as a church. North America, all over the world. I begin to think about all that God's done at Longview Point, all the different countries we've been to, all the different things God has allowed us to do. And I just had this moment, Pastor at Longview Point, I just had this moment of just, I just felt overwhelmed in a good way. I was overwhelmed by all that God had done in the life of our church to prepare us and bring us to this moment. And I was overwhelmed thinking about our potential to impact the kingdom for the glory of God. It was just a powerful little moment I had in my life. In other words, I can't imagine, after all these 13 years of preparation of what God has done in the life of our church, and all the victories we've won, I can't imagine at this moment we would shrink back. Now's the time we embrace what God has for us next. Like the Olympic athlete that's prepared and trained and won victories. Can you imagine them turning back when they get to the Olympics? No! After all God's done, we're not going to turn back. We're going to embrace what's next and ask God to take us to the next level. And we're going to seek to impact this community and this world in ways in which we can't even conceive of for the glory of Jesus Christ. So you might say it like this. This is our Antioch moment. We want God to do Acts 13, 1 through 4 here in our church, don't we? So let's move forward together and see what God does.